0: we're going to be in isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace in the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Richard, one of the elders here. I have the the privilege of uh, bringing the message this morning. Um, Father, we, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus as the the Prince of Peace to restore us to you and to give us a peace that passes understanding. Um, I pray that you would fill this place by your spirit with the your presence as the God of peace in this time. I uh, pray that you would empower me by your spirit to bring the word clearly. I uh, pray against the the migraine and the vision trouble I'm having that you would help me to, to see clearly so that collectively we could see you clearly and do the work you want to do in us in this place this morning. For your glory and the joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had to pick one word to characterize our time, if I had you fill in the blank, 2023 has been a year of blank. I'd be willing to bet peace isn't the word you would fill in the blank with. The Daily News gives us updates about wars, about hostility between groups. Uh, Studies show that we as a generation are some of the most anxious, stressed, and depressed people in history. So peace is not the word that would describe our time. And we're not unique in that. Uh, When Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a man and came into the world, the Father chose to send him into a time of conflict 2000 years ago, much of the Mediterranean world was under Roman control and not voluntarily, but as the result of war. And in first century Israel, where Jesus became incarnate as a human baby, the conflict wasn't just between the Jews and Rome. It was also uh, between the Jews and their neighbors with ancient hostilities with people like the Samaritans, And they had plenty of internal conflict with groups like the Pharisees and Sadducees jockeying for prominence and control. So like in our time, you wouldn't characterize Jesus' time on earth as a time of peace. But Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah or Savior promised one who would come as the Prince of Peace in the words of this morning's reading that Deanna read from Isaiah 9. By the way, as as we talk about Jesus and and his coming, we use three words kind of interchangeably here. Um, Messiah, Christ, and Savior all express roughly the same idea. The Old Testament, of course, was mostly written in Hebrew and Messiah is the Hebrew word for the Savior that would come and save God's people. Um, Christ is from the, the Greek word for the same idea. The New Testament was largely written in Greek. And Savior is an English word from Latin uh, because the early church was largely Latin speaking because of the influence of Rome. Uh, So, whether we say Messiah, Christ, or Savior, they're all roughly the same idea and they're all referring to Jesus. So, today is the, the second Sunday in the season of Advent. And during Advent, we prepare to celebrate Christmas by looking back at what it was like to long for the Messiah, the Savior, to come the first time. This helps us see the, the beauty and goodness of Jesus' incarnation in his first coming, which we celebrate in a few weeks at Christmas, and it also helps us to remember that as they longed for Jesus to come the first time, we're longing for him to come again, just like we just sang, come again as the Prince of Peace. We're, we're waiting just like they were waiting. So this morning as we explore the theme of peace, peace in a dark time, we're gonna look at four things together. First, we're going to look at how the people of God before Jesus incarnation longed for peace. In particular, we're gonna look at the prophecy about the coming Messiah and how peace shows up as a major theme there. Second, we're gonna look at how Jesus brought peace in his first coming. Third, how we still long for peace from Jesus coming again. He hasn't finished what he started. And then finally, how we can apply this to our lives now. So let's start by looking back at the longing for peace expressed in the Old Testament. How did peace show up as a theme in Messianic prophecy? And what did the Lord mean when he promised peace in those prophecies? What was the nature of that peace? In the passage Deanna just read from Isaiah 9, the prophet describes a coming Savior with several titles, And one of those is Prince of Peace. And it says that under the rule of this Prince of Peace, peace will be without end. It'll go on forever. What was Isaiah the prophet talking about when he used the word peace? Well, in in Hebrew, the word here for peace is shalom. And shalom means more than the absence of fighting, the absence of conflict. It's a positive... Complete peace, a, a goodness and thriving. Um, Tim Keller describes shalom this way He said, God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. Shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. So when Jesus, the coming Messiah, is referred to as the Prince of Peace, that's what they're looking forward to, not just an absence of conflict, but that kind of positive completeness and flourishing. Now, while shalom is bigger than the absence of conflict, it certainly includes that. If we look ahead a little bit at Isaiah 11, we get a vivid illustration of this aspect of peace that the Messiah will bring. Starting in verse six, it says, "'The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And you, you don't have to know much about animals or watch many nature documentaries to know that a wolf flying down with a lamb is uh, a pretty big deal. <laughs> That's not what wolves and lambs naturally do together. So. The Messiah will bring a kind of conflict that takes natural enemies like wolves and lambs and children and cobras and (laughs) turns those natural enemies into um, things that have peace with one another. And that peace will be cause for celebration, not just from people, but from all of creation. In Isaiah 55, 12, it says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's a complete restoration of creation from before the fall broke everything. So how will this coming Messiah bring this kind of comprehensive peace? Isaiah describes two different ways. First, the Messiah will suffer on behalf of his people. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The Messiah's suffering on behalf of his people will bring peace for them, peace for us. The second way the Messiah will bring peace is through his reign and his power which we saw in the the passage from Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And Micah 5 puts it like this. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. In other words, his presence and power ensures his people's security. It's, if you remember when, uh, over the summer, we talked about Psalm 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. And part of the reason that the the sheep in Psalm 23 feel peace and security is because of the presence and power of the shepherd. It's, that's your rod and your staff will come for me. It's you're going to guide me and protect me from those who would disturb my peace. And it's the same picture here. It's the Messiah is his people's peace because... He's good, and He's great, and He's present. I've highlighted just a few examples, but this theme of peace extends and threads throughout the Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. And then in Luke 2, when the angels announce to the shepherds that the Messiah has finally been born, which we almost always read and and kind of sing with uh, our Christmas songs like Angels We Have Heard on High. Um, We're singing, what are the angels singing when they announce this? The way that they praise when they announce that this Messiah has finally arrived is glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels know and are celebrating that with this baby that we celebrate coming on Christmas, peace has come to the earth in a new way. So let's turn our attention to our, our second point, how Jesus brought peace in his first advent, his first coming. There are three aspects to the peace that Jesus brought in his incarnation, becoming a a man, his death and his resurrection. Peace with God, peace with each other and peace within. So let's look at each of those first and most important. Jesus' perfect life of obedience to the Father and His sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf fulfilled Isaiah 53. And we said, Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by His wounds we are healed. And that secured peace between us and God. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 5. He says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, in Colossians 1, he writes... In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This peace is an objective peace. Whether we feel peaceful or not, we were once enemies of God, and now he calls us friends and calls us sons and daughters if we trust in Christ. Second, Jesus made possible peace between believers, and particularly believers who might have been at odds apart from Jesus' work. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how Gentiles and Jews who were naturally hostile to one another are now reconciled and now have peace through the work of Jesus. And we celebrate this every week as a part of our service when uh, we have our time to welcome and greet one another. That's not just about greeting one another. That's about rehearsing that we don't just have a restored relationship with God we have a different kind of relationship with the people that he brings together here there's an objective side to this piece just like the peace with God we are objectively members of a new people a new family because of what Jesus has done we've been Brought into this new people, whether we feel it or not. The Bible teaches that other Christians, like the the people sitting here, including the ones you've never met before, are objectively your brother or sister in Christ, if they trust in him. And all of our human divisions, and we have a lot of them in our world, are objectively less meaningful than our unity in Christ. But there's also a subjective side to this. Followers of Jesus are called to work towards reconciliation and peace so that that objective reality of God's people as one people becomes a lived experience of peace. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, people who are actually trying to create this kind of peace. And uh, Paul in Romans 14 says, Pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. And again in First Thessalonians, be at peace among yourselves. So we have peace with God, peace with one another. And then third, Jesus secured for his followers in his first coming the possibility to have an unshakable internal peace, despite tribulations. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Paul picks up on this in in Philippians 4, a verse that uh, a lot of us go back to frequently probably. He writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that when he's gone, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to be with them. And then in the context of talking about the coming gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is drawing a a contrast here between his kind of peace that you would experience and the kind of peace that the world gives people. how does the world give peace when it gives peace at all? Typically through peaceful circumstances, like my retirement plan is solid, or um, we have a peace treaty with these people we were previously at war with, or I have a good lock on my door when I go to bed at night. It's a peace that's based on our circumstances. But Jesus is saying his peace is not that kind of peace. He's not giving us peace by just fixing everything in our circumstances. He's giving us a peace that transcends circumstances. And from the context, that comes from the Holy Spirit's present in us. And in fact, Jesus didn't just promise that our peace won't depend on circumstances, he actually promised conflict and tribulation. Like in Matthew 10, he said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he promised complete peace with his return. So we live in an in-between time. I think Matt mentioned this last week. Theologians often talk about Advent as an experience of this already but not yet that we live in as Christians. Jesus has already done some of what was prophesied that he would do, and he's not yet finished it, and we're sitting here in between. So some of the prophecy about Jesus bringing peace has been fulfilled. We have peace with God. We can have peace with one another by God's power and we can have an internal peace that passes understanding. But some of the prophecies about Jesus bringing peace, we're still waiting to see fulfilled. It won't happen until his return at the end of time. So let's look at his promises about that. We obviously still see conflict between nations and groups today. That's the main topic if you turn on the news. Both Isaiah two and Micah four describe a future at the end of time where people quote, and they both say the same thing, people will pe- beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And similarly in Hosea two, the Lord says through his prophet, I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. So there is a a coming peace that puts an end to the conflict that we see in our world in the news every day. And Revelation 21 says that in the end God will be with his people and quote, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the ultimate peace that we look forward to. God will... Be with his people, and will completely fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about the peace that the Messiah would bring, and that gap that we experience between the objective peace and subjective experience of peace right now will get closed, because what was faith becomes sight, where we we have a sense that God is with us and in us, and when He returns and makes all things new, um, we'll we'll see Him and will be in his presence all the time. So what was hoped for becomes real and becomes our experience. So what are we to do as people living in this in-between time? or We already have peace, but we don't yet have peace. How should we live? Um, Four quick applications as I wrap up here. Number one, reflect on, accept, and enjoy the objective nature of your peace. If you trust in Christ, you objectively have peace with God and with other believers. And don't just gloss over that. Savor it. Give thanks for it. Live in the reality of it. Number two, by the Holy Spirit in you, accept and rest in the peace that passes understanding, whatever your circumstances. The, the command in Scripture is don't be anxious about anything, but i I don't think you obey that command by just deciding not to be anxious anymore. (laughs) Like, I was anxious, and now I'm going to stop. There are some commands that you obey by just, I wasn't doing a thing, and now I do a thing, or I was doing a thing, and now I stop. Uh, Commands about our subjective sense, like anxiety or, you know, rejoice in the Lord, ones like that, that are about how we feel, I, I don't think you obey those by just deciding to feel a new way. You may have tried that, and it probably didn't work very well. But it's still a command, and we're to obey the commands that God gives us. So how do you obey this command not to be anxious? Um, I think it's when you find yourself being anxious, you take it to God. And as Paul said, by, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So reflect on his promises. Reflect on the gifts that he's given you. And ask him to give you a peace that doesn't depend on your circumstances. That's how you obey the command to not be anxious. You replace it with something instead. Number three, be a peacemaker. When you have conflict with someone else, especially with another believer, take the initiative to resolve it. It makes no sense for us to celebrate the peace that we have with God and not seek peace with the others that he's reconciled us to. So we should be people that are actively working to create peace. And, and remember the, the biblical definition of peace, of shalom, it's more than just an end to conflict, like agree to disagree. It's active interconnectedness and flourishing with other people. And we should be a people that work towards that by God's power. And then finally, number four, long for and pray for the fullness of peace with Christ's return especially in the season leading up to Christmas. We can rejoice in the peace that we already have through Jesus' first coming, but just as those believers before the incarnation longed for the fulfillment of God's promise, we should be longing and praying for the complete fulfillment of God's promises that will come when Jesus returns. Just like we sang a moment ago before the message, our prayer should be, come again and renew all things. Let's not be too satisfied with where we are now, but let's long for Christ to come again and make things right. Father, would you make us this kind of people, a people that lives in the objective peace that we have with you and with one another. Uh, By the Holy Spirit, would you make us peacemakers, uh, people who seek restoration and shalom in this in-between time. Uh, Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, free us from anxiety and give us a a peace that passes understanding that doesn't make sense? And may the world see this and say, uh, surely their God is real because he's doing something in them that doesn't make sense. There's, There's no outward reason why they should have the peace that they have. And we can say, we only have that because our God secured it for us. And Jesus, would you come again and come again soon? Our world is, is so broken, it's so full of conflict, and we long for you to come again and renew all things as the Prince of Peace, whose government will increase and create peace without end. We long for your shalom. And as we live in your kingdom here, uh, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, especially with respect to the shalom. In this Christmas season, would you stir in us a longing for you, Jesus, in, in how you've already come and a longing for you to come again? Pray this for your sake and in your name, Jesus, amen.